everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Hot Ghoul Summer. I know it's Mother's Day, so that's mid-May, and for many people, it's still snowing. I'm looking at you, Michigan. But here in Georgia, it has been summer for, I don't know, since January. So Hot Ghoul Summer is coming even a little bit late for us. I wanted to do a Mother's Day special episode, both as a good entree into the summer, but also because moms can be scary. It can be scary having a mom. It can be scary being a mom. And I thought this was just the perfect topic to tackle for our very first episode of Hot Ghoul Summer. So stay tuned. You're going to hear from my friend, clinical psychologist, Dr. Camille Holliner, as well as two very important mothers in my own life. I hope you enjoy this episode. And to all the moms and moms-to-be out there, happy Mother's Day! Hello, um, good morning. My name is Camille Holliner, and I am a clinical psychologist licensed in the state of Texas, and I am currently working at a private practice in Texas. And really, um, I specialize in eating concerns, body image concerns, and really a lot of general um, presenting concerns as well. Do you still go by Holliner? I haven't legally changed my name yet, so for now, oh. um, I also just haven't wanted to deal with the hassle. Understandable. Okay, well, we'll, see. we'll see. Okay. Um, so as you know, this is all for the Mother's Day special, and one of the main reasons I want to do this episode is, so I have a two-year-old who is also named Camille, and then I've got another one on the way, and being a mom is scary. I mean, having a mom is scary, being a mom is scary. Um, I mean, it can be funny too, but I wanted to know about your perspective about what's scary about having a mother. About having a mother. Well, and for really from what I've seen, I work with a lot of um, adolescents, a lot of emerging adults. So really, you know, college age, early twenties. And I see a lot of things of how the role between, you know, being a kid and then transitioning to being an adult starts to shift really in terms of how you view your parents. Mm -hmm. And so I talk a lot with my clients about, okay, at the end of the day, your parents are just people. And I think a lot of times we don't realize that until we get older. And sometimes, you know, we look back, like, I don't understand why they did that, or that was really hurtful or confusing. And so it, it, it it's this kind of like, really eye-opening period where you start to realize, you know what, they're just people and they make mistakes. And I think that's what's scary because we grow up and, you know, those are the people who teach us right and wrong. They're our role models. We believe everything they say. And then you realize they don't really know what they're doing. It's the <laughs> <laughs> really a scary realization, but it's the reality. They're just people. And I think that's what's scary is they're not perfect. And most of the time they don't know what they're doing and they're just like us. I mean, that's so true. I definitely experienced that firsthand when we brought our little baby home. I mean, for me, one of the scariest parts of motherhood, it wasn't about giving birth. As long as you get the epidural, like seriously do that. It's about what you do with this like precious little nugget that you've spent nine months nurturing inside of you once you've birthed it. I mean, especially with the first baby, it's there just like, okay, you're all set. Like you can leave now. And like, what, your way. What, do do? what do I do with this? I've never changed a diaper before. And now I'm supposed to like figure out how to raise them. Like it's terrifying terrifying. I mean, as they grow up too, it just gets scarier. I mean, every little like sniffle, every little scrape, cough, stumble. And then you have to think about getting into good schools, getting into good jobs, finding happiness and fulfillment. I mean, it like never ends. Well, and, and so that's the part that I feel like, yeah, they just send you off on your way. There's no manual, right? You can read all the books in the world, 
but every kid is so different and every experience is so different. Mm -hmm. And so it's terrifying. And I think that there's so much pressure also to be perfect or to also be happy all the time and Mm -hmm. to be great. Oh, you know, my child is healthy, all these things. and, And you feel like you can't, you know, complain or say you're tired or even have ambivalence about how you're feeling, probably especially when you have a newborn and you're exhausted and you haven't slept and you're scared and the baby's crying and you're like, what is going on? And and I mean, you can tell me from your experience that I think that's something a lot of people don't talk about is like the reality and the ambivalence and how hard it is. And really people just think, oh, you know, everyone's so excited. You just have your baby here and it's all rainbows and butterflies. And that might be the, not be the reality. And I think people who don't feel that way might feel a little bit of shame about I am so glad you brought that up because I mean, especially when you are dealing with all of the hormones are leaving your body, you've just been through like, I mean, birth is a major trauma to your body. You've just gone through that and you're trying to heal yourself, but you can't take any time for yourself. You can't even get a full night of sleep because now you have this little thing that depends on you for everything. And they're waking up like every two hours. And so it is scary. And I mean, until you start getting more of a regular sleep schedule, at least this was my experience, I could not like function normally. My emotions were all over the place. I was irritated by all kinds of things. I mean, I wasn't like basking in the glow of new motherhood. I was, I love my child and I was very happy that I had her, but that first like two months were really hard. Well, sleep deprivation is a form of torture. So, I mean, it's really, really miserable, right? And again, I think that's what people don't talk about the reality of how hard it really is and how terrible you might feel. Yeah, I mean, sometimes people like joke about it, which I honestly think is a good way of trying to deal with it, bring some humor into it and be like, oh yeah, well, not getting enough sleep, but you know, it happens because honestly, at the end of the day, if you can laugh about it, it makes it a little bit better. And you know that eventually that child will go to sleep. Like it will happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I'm, I'm wondering for you too, um, you know, when you think back to when Camille was so little and you weren't getting a lot of sleep, do you, do you remember that time pretty vividly or does it almost kind of fade into the distance and, and the excitement starts to take over in the joy? You know, I remember chunks of it because my, I mean, my normal schedule, I go to bed at like eight, I'm up at four and I'm working. I don't like take naps during the day. So to all of a sudden be thinking like, okay, I can't really go to sleep until 1130 at night. And then I might get an hour and then I wake up and then I'm napping during the day. My schedule is so all over the place that I don't necessarily remember individual days. I just, for me, the, one of the biggest issues going from having no children to having a child is feeling like I was losing my identity. Because all of a sudden, like my entire existence is about this little child. And I'm thinking, but I'm also a person. I mean, you talked about, you know, children realizing their parents are just people. I think when you become a parent, sometimes you forget that you are also a person because you're so absorbed in raising somebody else. And so to answer your question about, do I remember a lot of it? I remember snatches of it. And I mean, this is how people have second children. They don't remember the hardest parts necessarily. Or you know that after a couple of months, the hardest part hopefully will be over. Because once she got on a regular sleeping schedule and started sleeping through the night, my entire life changed. And I think that's pretty normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to look at it too, is it's temporary. Yeah. And it's like a hill. And then once you get over the hill, hopefully the idea is that it starts to feel a little better, a little bit more manageable as well. Yeah. And I mean, as I think about my second baby coming in August, 
I like I've changed diapers before. I understand breastfeeding. I mean, I know every child is different, but I don't feel like I'm starting from nothing. I feel like, okay, like I've, I've been through this before. I know the tactics that are going to help me deal with this. And honestly, just having a plan in place, that's what always makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. And I have a plan in place for this one. So I'm not as terrified as I was before. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, something interesting too, in terms of mental health and postpartum is that, um, you know, whether it's postpartum anxiety, baby blues, depression, like it's actually very normal to experience mm-hmm. one of those. And again, I don't think that's something that people really realize. Um, and so they might, you know, feel a lot of shame and guilt of like, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? But it's actually the norm to experience one of those things. Um, and it, and it could look different for everyone. And, and, you know, there's difference between like the baby blues and postpartum depression. Um, and, and so, you know, that's a factor too, to think about of, okay, you know, you got to be intentional about your own mental health after and really being careful of like, you know, how long is this lasting and baby blues typically go away about after two weeks, but you got to really be careful um, and pay attention to, okay, you know, like, is this affecting my mental health months later? And what's right. really going on? And for me, I think that's kind of hard to spot because I mean, when we would go for our pediatrician visits for Camille, every time they would have me fill out something that was like an assessment of, do you have postpartum depression? And it was really hard sometimes for me to answer because I'm thinking not getting enough sleep is really a trigger for me and having kind of like little mini breakdowns. So is this postpartum depression? Is this just baby blues or am I just tired? And I think that's really hard to parse out. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Because it's so enmeshed in one. So really, I mean, the main determining factor is going to be like, how long is this lasting and how severely are these symptoms impacting your functioning? Right. Um, But even like you said, you know, every mom is going to be sleep deprived, right? Every mom's probably going to be pretty anxious. There's so many things out of your control. It's also new. Um, And and I think that's why also a lot of these mental health conditions are going to go greatly undiagnosed. Yeah. Because it is so typical, right? And you're going to fill out these questionnaires and it's going to just look like it's the norm, right? But without any further questioning, it's hard to know, okay, what, what's the reality of what's going on and how severe are these symptoms? Totally. And then, I mean, like in the middle of the night, I'm like on my phone trying to just stay awake and you can't help but see these people who are kind of mom fluencers and they have the perfect little family. Their newborn is dressed in like a designer outfit and their hair is done. And I'm thinking I can barely brush my teeth in the morning. So that kind of like adds to the shame aspect of I don't want to admit anything's wrong because clearly other people are doing it right. What am I not doing right? Yeah, definitely. And I think that ties back into this pressure of, okay, you have to be this perfect mom, right? And you have to give everything and you can't complain and you have to be grateful that your baby's healthy and whatnot. And and it's okay to not always feel that way. You can love your baby and also be like, oh my God, you know, uh, this is exhausting and this is terrible at times. And that is totally normal to have that ambivalence. Yeah, I'm really glad you bring that up because not enough people say that. More, Way more people are like, oh, I mean, when are you going to do your newborn photo shoot? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And I'm like, dude, I can barely answer an email right now. I'm not scheduling a photo shoot. Uh, well, and I think that ties into this term, um, you know, that's kind of trending right now, toxic positivity. And I uh, think it's used in a lot of ways, right? Of, of basically, you know, people, usually it's with good intentions, right? Of, But it can feel super invalidating when people make comments like, you know, if you're struggling, you're tired and someone's like, well, you know, like just take a walk outside or just smile or whatnot, right? Again, 
probably saying it with good intentions, but it can feel super frustrating, super invalidating. It might make you feel like, okay, well, you know, they don't care or, you know, am I making a bigger deal than this than I need to be? And, and it can cause people to shut down. But I think there's a lot of that around motherhood as well. Like, oh, this is so exciting. Just enjoy this time. Be grateful. All this sort of stuff, right? Which again, can contribute to that guilt and shame where you're like, oh, okay, well, okay, I can't say anything then or I can't seek help, right? And that might cause a lot of moms just to feel like they have to stay quiet or that they're overreacting or whatnot. So true. And I mean, I think there is something to the fake it till you make it. But when everybody is pushing that on you and you're like, dude, I just need to cry for like half an hour and then maybe I'll be okay. Having that toxic positivity just makes you feel really stifled. Yeah, sure. Right. And you probably see you're saying a lot of that on social media as well. Of These mm -hmm. influencers who seem like they have it all together, happy as could be, perfect little family. Um and so they might be portraying that as well indirectly just through these images or their stories or, or whatnot. Um, but it's also interesting too, because sometimes you'll see now on social media, people will try to show more of the reality of, you know, this is really hard or I cried today or, you know, look at my toddler had a meltdown and people are so mean in comments. Sometimes when people show the reality and they're like, you're a terrible mother and you were parenting wrong, all this stuff that it's just, you can't win. So I think not that social media isn't inherently bad or anything, but just be careful about what you're seeing because you can't win. Yeah, that's so true. And I mean, what people portray isn't their real life every day. Like it just isn't. And I feel like, I mean, I actually have an episode coming later this summer all about reality TV and we touch on influencers and how weird it is that we idolize these people who at the end of the day, aren't even living the way that they portray themselves to be living. Like that's not real. So we're idolizing something that can't even be reached. And that yeah. definitely happens in motherhood for sure. Yeah. Um, well, and something I was interested in hearing about for you, right? I know you said there is this loss of identity, right? Like your sole purpose was to take care of this child, which I imagine then you probably had no time to do any of the things that you love to do, right? That are just for you. What, what did self-care look like? Did it completely go out the window? Did you find a way to incorporate it? Or what do you recommend? Because I think that's the biggest thing for moms. They just feel like, well, I can't do anything anymore. Even if it's just showering, right? Like we lose yeah. all of those sorts of things. I mean, that's a really good question. I feel like it kind of comes in stages because for the first two weeks, this baby is not on a schedule and you just have to do whatever it needs and wants from you as I guess should be the case. And so self-care was, I mean, if I could get a shower and that was amazing. If I had time to brush my teeth in the morning, amazing. If I could nap when she was napping, that was it. And then occasionally we would go on little walks. And then as she got older, walking was my biggest form of self-care because when you have like this little child who can't even roll over, I mean, when they're awake, it's like, what do you do with them if you're not feeding them? So I'd put her in the stroller and we would walk for hours and sometimes she'd fall asleep. Sometimes she'd just look around at things, but I knew, okay, I can listen to an audiobook, I can listen to some music or a podcast and I can just chill. And that was honestly, that got me through like the first six months <laughs> until I really started getting more into a schedule. And I felt like I could reclaim my identity and some of the things that I like to do. Well, I mean, that's amazing that you found a way to build that in because I think that's probably one of the hardest things, right? Of how, how do you incorporate that? So you have to get really creative. Mm -hmm. um, 
And in terms of self-care, right, you know, we usually think about it as, oh, it's me doing my skincare or whatnot, right? And those are really the methods. But I think the most important thing for self-care, especially in motherhood, is, is creating this principle of I have to take time for myself and set boundaries in some sort of way, however you can, right? And for you, that was, you know what, like, I'm going to go walk around. I'm going to take this time when I can. Um and the methods may change, right? Later on, it sounds like it developed and evolved into something else. But that principle was that you knew you had to take that time for yourself. And it sounds like you knew you had to get out of the house. And that was something really important to you as well. So, um, you know, that's important to keep in mind in terms of the self-care of, okay, it's just the principle of creating that space for yourself, right? And the methods may change over time. That's so true. I mean, I heard somebody else say it's kind of like securing your oxygen mask before helping other people. It's totally like that because when you are so drained and you have nothing left to give, you have to find some way to replenish that well. Otherwise you will break down, which happened to me several times. And I don't think it's completely unavoidable, especially as a new mother, but any, somebody offers to help you let them. I feel like a lot of people, and I've done this with other people too. They say, please let me help you. Let me know if there's anything I can do. And if you can take advantage of that, people are happy to help you and then you can get a break. So yep. that's another way to kind of build in some time for self-care when you feel like you can't do anything else. Yeah. And that's a good point, right? And, and really people like to help. And a lot of times they like to be told what to do. So it probably is the best thing for both of you. If you can just say to someone, yeah, you know, that'd be great. Can you please do X, Y, and Z? And that might be, can you help me with the laundry? Can you take the dog for a walk? Can you get groceries? Things like that, that don't even have anything to do with helping out with the baby right? But they're just these tasks that you probably have no time to do, right? And they're just like adding on, adding on, compounding onto your to-do list. Um, But I think that's a great point of asking for help and and just like accepting that help and not feeling like you have to do it all on your own because pretty impossible. It, Yeah, it really is. It really is. And uh, I want to shift gears a little bit because I'm thinking about, um, there is so much horror out there about mothers there are a couple of things that come to mind, like Ashley Audrain's novel, The Push. I don't know if you've read that, but that was one of those where my mother-in-law read it. And when I was pregnant the first time and she's like, Vicky, you cannot read this. It is so scary. It's going to totally make you not want to be a mom. And I was like, oh, I've already read that. And I loved it. Um, but that's a good one. And there's another novel called Baby Teeth by Zoya Stage about kind of a uh, psychopathic four-year-old and her relationship with her mom. And then you've got movies like Psycho and countless episodes of Law and Order SVU. So I'm curious what you think about like, kind of like mommy issues from a clinical psychological psychological perspective and why that can be such a good source of horror. Um, I think, you know, again, from early on, our mothers are our main caregivers in most cases, right? If your mother is around. Um, and so that's that's the person that we're bonded to right? That we rely on from an early age and they have so much control over us. I mean, physically from an early age and emotionally, right? Um, And therefore there's obviously so much good a mother can do for us. And there's so much bad that a mother can do for us. They have so much power. And I think that's, you know, what creates that content um, for horror, right? Of, Of they do have so much power over us, right? Because they're a main caregiver, right? And even if there's another um, you know, father, another mother, whoever, right? Like that person is from an early age biologically, right? I mean, we breastfeed, all these things, we're in their womb. Th- there's this connection that is just going to be way more powerful over anything else. 
That's so true. I mean, I talked about it from the mom standpoint, like, oh my gosh, this tiny little baby burrito depends on you for everything. And that's terrifying as a mom, but yeah, it, when that goes wrong, it's terrifying and scary and awful for the child too, because I mean, you are their entire world. Yep. Yep. And, and I heard something once um, that mothers view their daughters, especially either as an extension of themselves or as a competition. Interesting. Yeah. And so you could see how that could have a twist, um, you know, whether maybe the competition, not as positive, right. But even the extension as well of, of a mother becoming overly involved, um, way too enmeshed in their child's life and whatnot and causing a lot of difficulties. Totally. Totally. I think that's definitely a source of horror. Cause like you said, this is the most powerful relationship most people have from the very, very beginning, even from before the beginning. And so anything that kind of twists that or taints it is definitely going to be horrifying. Well, and, and there's even, um, I can't remember what that series is called, but based on the true life story of the mother, um, you might not know what it, you might know what it's called, but the mother who was um, purposely keeping her child sick. Are you talking about Gypsy Rose? Yes, 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 yes. Sure. Yes, right. Um, and I think that's something too of a lot of mothers are going to have difficulty with their kid growing up and being independent, right? Especially, you know, every every mother's purpose, right? Like you said, is just take care of this being, especially from the beginning. And so if that becomes, you know, their sole purpose and they can't find anything outside of that, it's going to be really hard to let go. And that can cause a lot of difficulties and issues as well. So you can see even from that story, right? I mean, that's a mental illness condition, um, but just having difficulty with separating and then wanting full control over the child as well. Totally. I mean, that's why it's so important to preserve your identity, even as you have a newborn. I mean, I, I always read a lot about this when I was kind of in the throes of it is a lot of people feel like they're losing their identity after having their first child. Cause you go from, what do I want to do today to, okay, if there's any time left over, maybe I can do something I want to do. And if you let yourself be lost in the children, it's like, once they go off to college, you, you that empty nest syndrome is going to hit you so hard. Yep. Um, and I even have a client now who, um, you know, only has one child, her daughter's about to leave for college and she's experiencing right now, a lot of depression coming up of what is this going to look like this role transition, you know, the empty nester syndrome of, and her, her daughter hasn't left yet. And she's already, you know, like really, really anxious and feeling really sad about it. You know yeah. I mean? I mean, my own mom was that same way. It was when the, like the entire year before I left for college, it was, this is the last March 21st. I'm going to make you breakfast while you're living at home. And this was like an everyday thing. And yeah, it was sweet, but it also made it so that when she finally dropped me off at college, she was like, okay, bye. Cause she kind of already dealt with it. But maybe I mean, you know, she grieved it right before it happened. She just went that whole year, basically mourning this, this loss of, um, you know, your routine and lifestyle that you all had. So it's like, you know, that was her way of coping, right? Her kind of defense mechanism of like, let me prepare myself sooner so that when it actually happens, I feel okay. And it sounds like she got some closure with it as well. She did. I mean, she also lives right down the street from me now. So, you know, but at the same time, what she, she did a really good job of maintaining her identity because I'm an only child. So it, and she was, she was very involved in my life, but in like an awesome way, as you know. But she also made sure that once I left for college, she had other things to do. She invented her bakeware line, Perfect Slice Bakeware, and she put a ton of energy into that so that when I left, she had kind of another baby, so to speak, to raise that was all her. And I really admire that 
because yeah. if you don't, like we said, if you don't preserve that identity, once your child leaves for college, like what do you, you just look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, who am I? What do I do with my time? You're going to feel like you don't have a purpose. So I think that's genius that your mom, you know, knew this of like, okay, I need to have things in place that are, I'm going to have a goal, right? Something to work on, something to bring me joy. And obviously it's not, I mean, I know you left for college, right? You're still around, um, but things to fill that space, which yeah. I think is super, super important. Now for, if you have clients either who are mothers going through something like this or people who have experienced kind of the mommy issues, how do you counsel them to deal with these things? I mean, main thing is like, I, I'm super glad when they come to therapy, right? And and a lot of it is validating what they're experiencing and like what we were talking about of, you know, there's a lot of shame and guilt about these emotions, whether or not, you know, they're... um you know, right immediately postpartum or their kids going off somewhere, um, just really normalizing their experience um, and letting them know like the, it's a safe space to talk about what's coming up. And it's good to be able to talk about what's coming up because also a lot of times I see that their partners might not always feel the same way or they don't understand to the extent right. that my client might feel it. Right. And so they might feel a little invalidated. Yeah. Not that their partner is um, you know, has malintentions or anything like that, but they just might not understand. And so I think it's really helpful for them to have the safe space to be able just to bring up whatever and really uh, dissipate some of that guilt or shame they might feel. But also what you're saying in terms of what your mom did, of, okay, we got to make sure they're doing things for themselves, right? And whether or not they have two minutes or two hours a day, like let's figure out something that's going to work. Even in, and I always just say like, let's pick one thing. I don't care what it is. It might be the smallest little thing. Like, let's pick one thing. Um, and something I love to incorporate too, really, I think is helpful for anyone is, okay, can you, you know, reflect on one win at the end of the day? Hmm. Yeah. Doesn't have to be, oh my God, I ran a marathon today. I don't <laughs> care. It could be literally, you know what? Like I um, took one minute to close my eyes and breathe. Like, again, I don't care what it is. Could be the smallest little thing. I just think it's so important to think about, okay, what did I do today versus, oh my God, what did I not do today? Or like, what am I, what do I feel bad about today? Like huge perspective shift. And That's if you practice such a good that, point. it starts to build and build and build and you can actually shift the way that your brain thinks over time. Mm -hmm. That is such a good point because it is so true when you are, especially a new mom and you're just looking at, okay, I haven't done the laundry. It's piling up. I haven't done the dishes. They're piling up. But if you can instead say, I cooked a meal today. I, you know, put the laundry in the washing machine today, yeah. like the little things, it does totally shift your perspective. And then you start to think, these are the things I did, so I can do them. And then from there, you can start to build back some sense of control and feeling just good about yourself. Yes, exactly. Right. Because, you know, like we're saying, I, I imagine it's probably so easy to beat yourself up mm -hmm. and be like, oh my God, I didn't get anything done today. This went horribly. That went horribly. How are you going to feel at the end of the day? If that's what you're thinking about, probably pretty terrible. Yeah. Right? Um, it might not set you up for success the next day. And so I, yeah, I really like to help clients, even if they don't fully believe the win, it's at least a shift towards neutral. Right. And, and that's what we're looking for rather than just focusing on you know, the quote negative. Totally. And I mean, from the opposite perspective, how do you think about helping people who maybe don't have the best relationships with their own moms? Mm -hmm. Um, again, it, it's really talking about, you know what, like 
they're people, they're not perfect. Um, I do have a lot of clients who, you know, as they've gotten older, they're working on setting boundaries. And, and we talk a lot about that of, okay, you know what, I, you got to take care of yourself, which sometimes can feel like a really selfish thing of, well, they're my mom, you know, they raised me, they did all these things. And it's so, so hard. Um, and that doesn't mean you're a bad person. If you set boundaries, it just means you have to take care of yourself. Because I have, I have a lot of clients who, um, you know, like they're not treated the best by their families, like even their mothers, and they will give, 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 and they're completely burnt out. Their cup is empty. They're depressed. They're miserable. The family learns they can take advantage of them or they're enabling their family members. And so we talk a lot about, you know, again, like taking care of yourself, setting boundaries, saying no, it's not selfish. You have to do that because if you don't, you're just going to build resentment towards your family. It's going to take on toll on you and you're not even gonna be able to help them at the end of the day if you're completely burnt out and wiped out. So that's the main thing of you have to prioritize yourself, which is a really hard thing to learn, especially, you know, if you've grown up um, with the mother who asks a lot of you and has been demanding and controlling, that can cause a lot of people pleasing tendencies, which is really common, really hard thing to break. And so we, it takes a while, but it's a really helpful thing to start to set boundaries and you realize it becomes easier over time, the more you practice it and do it. Totally. And I'm also wondering if you think that there's a difference between mommy issues and kind of daddy issues, or, or do you see both those things and kind of deal with them in the same way? That's a good, that's a very good question. Um, I think that there is, I, I think it also depends, not always, but if it's, you know, a daughter mother versus son mother, I think that the relationships can look a lot different. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an important factor as well. Um, with, you know, I, I work with more females than males, I would say, and I've seen both um, clients who are females who, you know, maybe have a strained relationship with their mothers and, you know, or have a strained relationship with their fathers. And I think with their mothers, um, it's, it's a lot of hurt and kind of more ambivalence of how to feel again, because there's such that strong connection. And for a daughter, you might even see yourself as part of your mother, just as you know, your mother kind of sees you as part of them. Um, with the fathers, I've seen it as a lot of times people become distrusting of men in general, which is a really sad thing and, and generalize that. Um, I have one client who, um, her father struggled with uh, mental illness when they were growing up and, and was unstable and, and left the family. She doesn't speak to him. Um, and so she's just very distrustful of entering relationships with men now today. So I've seen how that's impacted. And she's kind of generalized this idea of, oh, I can't trust men into how she views, you know, totally unrelated people at this point. Yeah. Well, I'll ask you one last question. So I'm curious, I know that you aren't currently a mother, but you are planning on becoming a mother. So I'm curious, what is the thing that scares you the most about becoming a mom? I think just all the uncertainty and all just the unknown and all the things that you just, I guess just not knowing what to expect, right? And I've heard, I have a lot of friends now who are pregnant, have had children, right? Like you. And so I've, I've heard, you know, I'm so grateful that I've been able to hear about your experiences, but I think it's just, you don't know what your kid's going to be like, um, you know, worrying they're going to be okay. Um, you know, would I be a good mother? Just all these things that are out of your control. Um, and also 
you know, I think sometimes it's easy to glamorize it of, oh, I'm going to have this little baby. And then when I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not going to be able to do all these things that I do mm-hmm. now. Probably take for granted, right? And so thinking about, you know, it's kind of scary when you think like, oh my gosh, my life's going to completely change. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I think that's when it's like, ah, you know, the reality sinks in a little bit. Yeah, I would, I would agree. That's definitely the scariest thing. But for me, once I established a new normal, I was like, okay, I got this. But the biggest shift is like, okay, you go from taking care of yourself and maybe a partner or a parent or a dog or a pet to, okay, you have this little thing that relies on you completely and everything else kind of fades into the background. And until you can kind of reestablish your routine and get that under control, it does feel super chaotic. And that is scary. Yeah. Well, and I think even socially as well, you know, what does that look like? Um, is it hard to stay in contact with some of your friends? Are you not able to do the things, you know, socially that you used to do? I also, though, there's a part that I'm excited to make new friends that are going through something similar. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that would be an exciting new chapter as well. Yeah. Like what doors open? Yes, that's a good way to think about it. We'll shift our perspective here as we end the episode. What doors open? And a lot of them do. And honestly, like being a mom is awesome. I love my child and my future child. So it's an exciting thing. Once you get through the really hard part in the beginning and you start to find yourself again, it's awesome. So now that we've heard the clinical psychological perspective on motherhood, I wanted to bring in two of the most important moms in my life. And the first one we're going to hear from is my lovely mother-in-law, Casey Hampton. Take it away, Casey. I want to know from your perspective, you have four grown children who've all turned out great, but what is the scariest thing about being a mother? Probably like having them injured. I'll tell a story about my son. And so we were out at the hunting camp and I'm, my kids never drank pop or did any, um, I just never had pop. I said, I'm just not buying pop. It's bad for you. And so when, when all the uncles would get together at this hunting camp, um, people just brought junk food and pop and all that. So, um, my son who tends to always want to push the limits and he was, well, he was in fifth grade for sure. So, um, he ended up, him and his cousin were sneaking behind the bar guzzling, I think it was orange pop. Hmm. Very fizzy. Yes, very, very fizzy. So they, unknown to us, were drinking that. Well, then they start up the tractor and there's going to be a sleigh ride and it's dark out. But my sister-in-law said, I've never driven a tractor. I want to drive a tractor. So um, she got on the tractor to pull us all. And one of the uncles was standing behind her, you know, to show her how to do everything. And it's a really old, old, old Ford tractor that just lives on forever. And um So my son was sitting right next to me, my little fifth grader, and I have three other kids on it, but it was a really full sled of like, kind of like a hayride, but it was a sled pulling through the woods that was just emptiness. And we were back out in the middle of nowhere still. And um, so we were pulling it and I was literally talking to my son. And a minute later, I hear my other son say, how come Ryan's laying in the path behind us? I'm like, no, Ryan's right next to me. And I'm like, what the heck? And so they said, mom, there's his jacket and you can see the reflection. So we finally hollered up, you know, some of us jumped off, hollered up to have the tractor stop and we jump off. And there literally is my son with track marks over him. Oh my gosh. On the ground, 
with blood gushing from his face and everything. And so, you know, being stupid parents, because you don't really realize until after you shouldn't have probably picked him up for a head injury. But my husband picked him up and I and we the two of us ran and I ran ahead of him. Um, and we I got to the hunting camp and he said, call 911, call 911, you call 911. And, and they're like, what, what? And so anyway, we called they called 911. In the meanwhile, the uncle, one um, uncle who doesn't drink, Lee, he got his keys and um, and Grant said, you know, come on, Lee, we're going to drive. We got to drive out here. So 911 is literally telling us, do not leave because they don't like to chase people, I guess. Makes sense. So we're like, I'm like, and then we had self, like, I think we had the little flip phones, but we're like, I'm sorry, my husband is driving. We are driving right now because we are down in a country area. And they're like, no, you have to tell them to stop. I'm like, I can tell them to stop. They're not stopping. Like, we are in the middle of nowheresville. You are not bringing, you know, we're going. And so um, anyway, when we got to the, the highway or not even a highway, a two-strip road, the ambulance was coming one direction. And they said, okay, we see you. We're pulling off. And so my son loaded up in there. And um, so we went to the small town hospital. And my one brother-in-law is a um, radiology guy there and he had jumped in the car too obviously and so anyway we were at this um this er and they did the radiology to see you know the extent of my son's injuries right and the doctor my brother-in-law and a family doctor and me and grant were in this room and the three trained medically trained people for that gasp and hold their mouth and are just like oh my gosh and i'm like Oh, great. My kid's got a brain injury or whatever. That's terrifying. And what they did was they, his stomach was so distended from pop that his stomach lining was just a trace away from just exploding a stomach. Oh my God. So like literally, I mean, I, I don't even know how you have stomach transplants. I have no idea what they would have done, but they were all like, <gasps> and, um, but anyway, his he he did get run over. He had um, a mild head injury, and anyway, he ended up being quote unquote fine. It took him like six weeks to kind of recover from the head injury. But the main thing was they were scared to death of his stomach, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm used to living in major medical areas, right? So here you are, like yeah. And um, the cute end to that story was my son. Um, we brought him back because there were still people at the hunting camp and we laid him on the couch after he got discharged and spending the night and all that. And he was laying on the couch and his face is all mangled and he has like a stripe through his chest where the, the sled went through and um, he was pretty bad off. And he looked at me and he goes, mom, you can't yell at me because I don't remember it. <laughs> you know, to this day, Ryan tells me since that accident, he has no memories from before the age of 12. Yeah. Which, I mean, honestly, that, that's terrifying as a mom to see that and to think that's kind of a freak accident. You don't think, oh, my son's going to get run over by a tractor. Yeah. Like, who, who prepares for that? Yeah. I mean, and so you know the what the song things. was every Christmas. Ryan got run <laughs> over by a, <laughs> by a sled on Christmas Eve. But he, um, he used to be a severe stutterer as a kid, and he wasn't responding. And after that... I think it was the head injury part of it. He's not a stutterer anymore. Oh, that's, so, I mean, I guess that's kind of a happy ending. Kind of a tough of, way of... Uh, <laughs> tough way of getting... Let's not try that at home if you yes, have a stutter. Yes. So anyway, that's scary. It's the, that kind of scary stuff that you can't control. Yeah, so. but luckily Ryan turned out to be fine and went on to marry me. So he's, he's doing great. Or is he? He's doing hey. great. <laughs> Huge thank you to my mother-in-law, Casey, for sharing that 
horrifying story that had a weirdly happy ending and shows the terrifying and humorous nature that can be motherhood. And now I'd like to bring in the other mother who means so much to me, my very own mom, Becky Parr. Um, hello, mom. Hi. So obviously you're my mom. So we know that you have one child and now you have one grandchild with another one on the way. So could you just describe your motherhood experience for me? Uh, yes, I was a old mother, as you could say. I'm married late, and after years of being told we'd never have a child, I had my blessed miracle baby girl when I was 40. That's me, just in case that wasn't clear. <laughs> so, Mom, what do you think is the scariest thing about being a mother? When they're an infant, uh, I think it's because they can't talk, and you're, you can't really tell if a cry means I'm wet or a spider's biting my toe. You know, you just don't <laughs> know. And that's for me, the scariest thing. What about when they grow up? Because I agree that is terrifying having an infant myself, but I mean, I'm 30 now. Are you still scared for me? Uh, no, you are so capable and so talented and you're, you're a wonderful mother yourself. And no, the only thing that ever scares me about you is the horrible thought of ever losing you because I think you're the other half of me. Oh my gosh, that's so sweet. And thank you for the compliments. I, that was really not scripted. She just actually thinks that about me. Yay. Well, switching to a little bit of a lighter question, what do you think is the funniest thing about being a mother? Because, I mean, there is definitely humor in motherhood. Oh, gosh, there are so many funny things. Uh, you know, you were very, very close to your father. And the only time I ever really saw him play, because he's a a big time attorney was when he was playing with you and y'all would go out on the trampoline and you'd invent games and, and, or you'd go into the swimming pool and, and you'd play games there that he made up and you just thought he was the funniest thing ever. And it was also, I think the sweetest thing ever to see, you know, this grown man lawyer playing with this little bitty girl and you've always delighted him in that way. You he still wants to play with you. <laughs> That's so funny that you mentioned that because I have the same feeling about my own husband with my daughter. I just love hearing them laugh together and she thinks he's just hilarious. I mean, I'm great, but he's hilarious. Exactly. And one thing that I would add, just I mean, I have an almost two-year-old, so I don't have the wealth experience that you do. But I will say one of the funniest and scariest things about being a mother is when you are driving somewhere, you're going to a fancy dinner, and you realize your child in her beautiful fancy outfit has just pooped. And yes. you're thinking, crap, literally, you pull over <laughs> on the side of the road. As, I mean, clearly, I'm speaking from experience. You pull over on the side of the road in downtown Savannah, about to go to this fancy dinner. And the Presbyterian church right next door is letting out. And you are changing this baby in the backseat of your car. It's harder than field dressing a deer, honestly. <laughs> and you realize, oh, my gosh, I forgot the wipes. Oh, oh, that is true. I will say one other funny thing that I've noticed that my daughter has only recently started doing is even though many of her outfits have pockets, she's decided the best place to store things is in her diaper. So again, scary and funny. I mean, I really did not enjoy finding the dead beetle. Yes. I will say I really hope that went in there dead. At least I think I do. I'm not sure. It was sure a horrible death. I'm not sure death. if it's better that it went in alive or if it went in dead. But I mean, besides the beetle, we found chunks of wood, sticks, rocks, flowers, 
dog treats, yes, toys, yes. bows. I mean, the list goes on. And again, that's always funny, but always scary because when you first look at it, you're thinking, what is that? What the hell is that in there? And once I realized she put it in there for safekeeping, we all just have to have a laugh about it. <laughs> okay, the recipe for this episode is something fittingly that my mom came up with. As you all probably know, if you listen to season one, my mom is the inventor of Perfect Slice Bakeware, which is the only portion control bakeware with a slicer. It's awesome. And one of the recipes she came up with, not just for the bakeware, but this is something she's been making ever since I was a kid. So it really, it really screams mom to me is ice cream pie. So mom, can you tell us a little bit about how you developed this recipe and how easy it is to make? Yes, I, I did this for several reasons. Uh, one, because I like fancy looking things. Of course. Fancy looking, easy things, even better. And that's, this falls into that category. Uh, it instead of just putting in you know a dip of ice cream on top of a cone, I bring out this fancy pie that has a hat on it and everything. And it's just fabulous, and you can make any flavor that you want, and you know it takes no time at all. And you can make it ahead of time. You reduce the mess. There's not ice cream everywhere, and like you said, it looks beautiful. And another reason I picked this is as we heard from my lovely guest, Dr. Camille. I mean, mothers can be cold. <laughs> they can be cold and they come in many different flavors, just like this ice cream pie. So I will have the recipe in the show notes and post it on my social media. And really, it, it's very simple. Can you walk us through kind of the ingredients in the process here, mom? Just very briefly. Yes. Uh, you can either buy or make a cookie crust. And uh, if I'm doing a, a chocolate based one, then I can get an Oreo crust mm. or I can do a graham cracker crust and you can buy those or you can simply make one in your pie pan. Easy. Then I like at least two flavors of ice cream. So I'm going to say for this one, let's do strawberry. Ooh. So I get you, you leave it out on the on the counter for a minute while you're unloading all your other groceries and let it get soft. And if you don't have the time for that, just microwave it a minute, not even a minute, just lightly defrost it so that it's soft. Uh, you take it out, put a pint of it in your pan and smooth it out so that it, it, it makes a bottom layer. In your top layer, I usually use vanilla if I'm doing strawberry. And I put, I put that softened ice cream also, another pint on top of that. And then I get real strawberries and I slice them and I make a pretty pattern on top. And everybody thinks, oh my God, she slaved over that. I know. <laughs> I mean, this, I can't express how delicious this dessert is. I mean, yes, it's ice cream in a pie shell, but it's also so much more than that. And some of my favorite ones you've made, you've made a mint chocolate one with an Oreo crust. You make your, what do you call it, the orange dreamsicle one? I call it the dreamsicle, yes. That's when you use orange sherbet as your bottom layer and vanilla ice cream on top. And it really does taste like a dreamsicle. Um, and the chocolate mint one has a chocolate bottom and a green mint top so that when you cut, all of these are, when they're sliced, are striped. So uh, just really lovely. And people really seem to think that you're, you must be quite the cook. When in fact, you really cooked nothing. <laughs> true but again you feel fancy and i mean we are in the middle of hot ghoul summer so i highly recommend that all of you guys try this ice cream pie and again because there are so many different flavors that you can make you can customize it to whatever you like whatever your family likes 
whatever situation or barbecue or party you have coming up, and you can tailor it to anybody's tastes. You can make it gluten-free, you can use Ben and Jerry's, you can put any kind of hat, as my mom calls it, on top. You know, it doesn't have to be strawberries. It can be sprinkles or crushed cookies or nuts or coconut, whatever you like. So again, highly recommend this recipe. It has a lot of nostalgia for me and it is completely delicious. And as I mentioned, you put the ice cream in there when it softens so you can spread it, but then you put it back in the freezer to harden. Again, you can make it ahead of time. The perfect recipe and the perfect recipe for this Mother's Day special. So thank you, Mom, for sharing that with us. Thank you so much for joining me for this first episode of Hot Ghoul Summer. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms and moms-to-be out there. And I hope you'll join me for more really fun episodes. I've got so many interesting things planned for the summer, some really exciting guests and interviewees, and some interesting, creepy, weird topics. So please join us in the future, and I really hope that you can rate, review, subscribe, send carrier pigeons, whatever your mode of feedback for this podcast, I would love it. I am still a new podcaster, and any bit of commentary I really appreciate. So thank you so much, and let's have a hot ghoul summer.